What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Looking around, I finally see I think I need a change the rat race I want to flee, my world I'll rearrange. I'm getting back to the roots of how it's meant to be. Growing gardens, picking fruit, racing livestock, living free. It's a modern homestead. Hello and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. I'm your host, Harold Thornbro, and I'm joined today by Ashley Burton of Mulberry Branch Farm here in Indiana. And uh, she's a homesteader uh, of a few years. I think you said you've been doing about 13 years, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, uh, Ashley, welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. Well, Harold, thank you so much for having me. And like you said, we're here in Indiana. We're located uh, pretty east central. We could throw a stone over into Ohio. So um, spent a lot of time, you know, back and forth over state lines. But we started our homesteading journey here about 13 years ago. And it was kind of, it kind of all happened really fast. And the reason that happened really fast is, you know, I I just got married. We were getting ready to have our first daughter. And we were living, you know, like most people do, starting off like in with their parents sometimes. Yeah. And um found this land, 13 acres of retired cornfield. And I thought to myself, that is just a perfect place to start our homestead. And wow. moved here, built the house. And I was kind of one of those those people that I just didn't really understand um, ecologies of soil health mm-hmm. or soil biology. And I figured that is an old cornfield that's been worked agriculturally for years. I was just going to ask you about that. Grow anything there, you know, I was yeah. like, dirt is dirt. And if they've grown that much food there over the years, then it should just be r- r- ripping to go and uh, learn the hard way after lots of tries with the garden mm-hmm. and uh had to really learn how to amend soils. And that's really how we started homesteading. Wow. So we built up the house, the the gardens needed amended and we bought goats and then we had chickens and then we've got had ducks and we've had miniature donkeys. We beekeep, we do all the things because those are the things that as we brought them in, it just kind of healed our land and helped us to be better stewards and helped us to reap more abundant harvest. And really that's what everybody that gets into this lifestyle wants. They want that Instagram worthy, the YouTube worthy gardens, but a lot of times you don't get to see how people get there, you know? So we've, we've learned a lot in our 13 years of, of being here on our property. Yeah. Well, I, I want to get into all that, but I want to back up first to talk about the raw (laughs) land thing. I mean, cornfield. So yeah, I mean, you probably obviously bought that because it's probably more affordable than buying 
it was yeah. land that's developed in any way. So you're putting in wells and septic systems and you had to do the yeah. whole nine yards. Yeah. Yeah. We had to do so, the whole thing. Yeah. And um, we don't live off of city water. We had um, a well dug. We do have like a little cistern, but mm-hmm. we kind of use that as um, in case something crazy happens chemical leakage from the farmer next door who doesn't use pesticides or herbicides. Thankfully, he's really not like that at all. We, we were very lucky in that way, but that's also why we have that cistern just in case anything kind of goes awry. We've got some water saved up from our in-ground well. So you've been there 13 years then. So if you, I imagine you've planted lots of trees and done a lot of infrastructure and stuff. So it probably looks (laughs) a lot different than cornfield now. Yeah. uh, it really does. I mean, it that's really starting does. from scratch for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. And I've always thought it was funny when people are like, I want raw land. I'm like, do you really? Know? Yeah. That <laughs> I've really? thought that myself a few times. I was like, well, you know, cause that sometimes is the most affordable land to buy. Yeah. Some absolutely. farmers just getting rid of a portion of a field or whatever. And I've thought, well, obviously, I mean, because of where I'm at, I know most farmers around here where we live just spray the tar out of everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just, they dump it like, water on there and um so you know there's a lot of it, it takes a long time for that stuff to really get out it of does. the soil completely because yes. it, it goes by half lives and it takes a few years for it to be completely gone mm-hmm. so you're dealing with that and plus just i know what little bit of infrastructure i put on my little piece of property that's been a lot of work you know i mm-hmm. can't imagine completely from just scratch starting you know and just saying okay here we go and now you said that's worse than just say buying a, a, a hay field or a woods or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're starting from a cornfield, which is really nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, we, like I said, like we kind of just mistakenly came into that. It was cheaper. And like I said, like I had no idea really at the ripe age of 21 when my daughter was born and we started looking for property that those practices were what were being used because as yeah. a child, I grew up actually like back in the woods, my mom foraged, we had little gardens, we did horses, had chickens. So in a, in a, in a natural state like that, in a forest, like it is constantly taking care of itself by the leaf litter and all the organic matter that's falling and decomposing and amending its own soil. So I just figured, Hey, if it could do it in the forest, if a farmer's doing it, it's gotta be good. And yeah, it wasn't. Well, let's, Let's even back up a little bit further. What made you even <laughs> want to go into homesteading in the first place? You know, I often have to ask myself that same question, <laughs> even right now, because we yeah. run like a herd of almost 40 goats. And there are moments where I'm like, why in the world am I doing this to myself? This is so hard. <laughs> this is tough. Yeah. But really, when I look back at my childhood, even though it kind of was homesteading. Like that was just our lifestyle. Like I, I didn't think it had a name and I didn't think that it had its own niche. And as I got older and decided to start, you know, filming for YouTube here on our little farm, I realized I'm like, what I'm doing is called homestead. (laughs) I just thought it was living, you know, but Mm -hmm. there are so many people that, you know, they're introduced to it through that, through the, through the camera lens, through our social media forms. And as I became more involved with social media and those different platforms and, mm-hmm. and kind of viewing how other people were viewing what I just thought was life, I realized it was called homesteading. Yeah. And through that way, you know, I kind of just realized that this, this is just what I've been doing, but my husband is, has been a part of it his entire life too. He grew up mm-hmm. on a, a small, what someone would call a hobby farm, even though I know as a homester, that's like a bad word. Nobody <laughs> wants to call it a hobby farm. And I'm like, oh, right. we are, we are, we're, I'm not going to stick to labels. Like I'm just living a lifestyle, simplicity and self-sufficiency and encouraging yeah. others to follow those footsteps because 
it's wholesome, it's healing. And I couldn't live my life any other way. I couldn't live in an apartment. I couldn't live with, and I don't want to, I don't want to like discredit um, humanity's ability to be adaptable. But for me, I just, I couldn't, yeah. it would drive me insane. It would drive me crazy. And, um, you know, we both kind of just live that way. And yeah. I can kind of see neighbors and that almost drives me nuts. And I'm like, I don't want to see anybody. I grew well, up in the woods. I'm so surrounded by them. So I understand <laughs> yeah. what you're saying. I wish I had a little bit more distance between me and my neighbors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it, it, not that I don't like my neighbors. It's just, you know, it's nice to have that. Uh, <laughs> it's nice to be secluded a little bit, you know, and, and be kind of separated. Um, yeah. So you're a, you're primarily a dairy goat farm right now mm-hmm. that what you're you're i mean you're doing a lot of things obviously but that's your, yeah. your primary yeah thing that's my passion at. yeah I love, so, I love those little goats <laughs> i mean was that something that it's just always been there or is just one no. day you got a goat and then you just fell in love <laughs> with them or what um actually as, as i grew up i i had um, horses and chickens and i actually did shadow what is now um my livestock vet i didn't realize you know back in high school i was shadowing someone who would be on my farm helping me pull kids in in difficult situations when i couldn't reposition them myself but mm-hmm. whenever we would go and visit farms if they said they had goats i was like <sighs> just instantly knew what a struggle it was going to be because number one, like they're just small enough to outmaneuver you, but big enough to bum rush you. Mm -hmm. And they sometimes have horns (laughs) and they're ornery and they have personalities. So I just really hated working with them at the vet's office. I much more preferred, you know, equines, but my husband had been raised with goats his entire life. He said, you know what? I bet if you maybe worked with them on a more personal setting, that you would actually really, really like them. So begrudgingly, when we first had our barn built, before the fences even went up, I got two boar goats and said, okay, let's prove me wrong, husband. (laughs) And often I find that my husband is that solid foundation. Like he is the voice of reason to my type A, go, go, go. I don't want to change my mind. He's often the one that says, oh, let's try it. And I end up liking it. So the two goats turned into goat math and I'm now sitting around maybe 50 because I had, tw- I have 21 kids that have been born so far wow. this year and I already had a herd of 30. So I'm, I'm sitting around 50 goats right yeah, now. You definitely have to have a passion to go with, uh, for it. For, to, to go I like with goats. We, I like you. I mean, I grew up when we like your husband, I guess more, uh, I, I grew up with a few goats. We had mm-hmm. five or six dairy goats, uh, you know, a Ram and some, get some dairy goats. And, um, yeah, they were a handful, uh, keeping them in the fence was the challenge yeah. when I was growing up. I mean, I, oh, there, was yeah. a, there was a few times, you know, they tried to get on the school bus with me in the morning because they got out of the fence, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so they would get out occasionally. And, uh, oh, yeah. We'd be open the front door and they're all standing on your front porch. It's like, wait a minute, <laughs> come on now. Um, yeah, you know, I hear that, high. especially if you have bottle babies. I know we have yeah. a bottle baby from last year that she has special privileges per my husband. All she has to do is yell at him as he walks out the door and he goes and opens the gate and lets her come into the house. (laughs) We have another bottle baby that does the same thing this year. So we, there's no limitations for the goats and they know that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they are, there are very beneficial, um, animal to have on your property, uh, oh, yeah. especially if you're doing permaculture. I don't know if you get into permaculture much, mm-hmm. but in the permaculture realm, they're a really great animal in, oh, yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, I like them. Uh, it probably wouldn't be my number one animal of choice, <laughs> but they're, they're a good animal. And I, and, and yeah, the milk is high quality. I mean, if it's done oh, yeah. right and, and what you can do with, it's really, really amazing too. Now, do you sell products or do you just sell, do you sell the milk or do you sell any products that you make with the milk or well because indiana is not all that friendly towards raw milk right i, I am licensed um through indiana to sell pet quality um milk 
Mm-hmm. Now, what people decide to do with that milk after it leaves, gotcha. I, mm-hmm. I don't care what you do. Just don't tell me what you're going to do with it. I'm just going to, I drink pet quality milk myself. <laughs> whatever they want to do with it after they purchase it it's on them right exactly yeah i i treat my pet quality milk just as i would treat the milk i feed my own family Mm -hmm. um we do make cheeses we we've made butter i'm actually sitting next to um my very first order of goat milk soaps that i've cut and i'm gonna have to package and send it to like a mother-daughter church event down in kentucky so that's a big um, business and it 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 can be the only bad thing that i think people don't understand about when you're creating um, goat milk soaps is that once they're done like really for them to be effective and to not just dwindle down quickly they have to cure for four to six weeks at the very least and that's if everything settles correctly so Mm I've had people, they're like, I want some of this batch. I'm like, I'll reach out to you in six weeks. And a lot of times they're like, well, why not now? And I'm like, you can use it. It just wouldn't last. It needs to harden, you know, it needs to cure. Yeah, I know there's a, there's a, in Southern Indiana, there's a big business of that. And I, I bought some from them before, mm-hmm. and, uh, but good stuff. It was really good stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's some, there's some big business in goat milk products. I know that. It's yeah. A, it's, yeah. Indiana there's, there's lots business. of benefits. And I think in America, especially like we just, we kind of miss out on that, even when it comes to goats as meat producers, um, mm-hmm. super lean there. I mean, my husband and I deer hunt every year that, I mean, I don't think we've bought, true meat from the supermarket outside of like fish or shrimp. If we want something like exotic, Um, haven't bought anything like that in years because we harvest our own goats or we harvest deer. Um, We brought our own chickens and goat meat is actually the most consumed meat per capita throughout the entire world. We're the only ones that don't do that. And I I would say it's because we have lots of the, the ability to free grace if we believe that what people put on that package we buy at the supermarket is true. And it's actually grass fed yeah. that we have lots of land where we can do that here in America. Whereas other areas, they don't, they right. goats forage. They don't graze. Someone was asking like, I've got a big hay field for as many goats as I want. I'm like, well, they're, they're going to be trying to get out of your fence to get to the honeysuckle and the poison ivy. Yeah. They don't want that. They want to forage. They like the weedy stuff that nothing else wants to eat. That's why they're a per perfect companion animal to run i feel like with with cattle or horses or even with pigs as long as you can keep them separate and they run you know separately or you do that cyclical rotational grazing Mm -hmm. you know a lot like joel salatin does running hogs sheep and cattle yeah and chickens (laughs) right behind them yeah 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 Yeah. now do do you did you plant fields uh in for them to to eat a certain way or do you just feed them they just, they get what, whatever grows up out there. Now we okay. do, we do bring in hay because with dairy goats, yeah. um, you're going to get the more bang for your buck from what you give them. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that I don't pay attention to who my thrifty does are. Um, I do a lot of milk testing. I'm a part of the um, dairy herd improvement registry. And what that means is that I milk my goats, I test their milk, I send it into a lab and the lab sends back paperwork to me telling me the contents in my milk. And it also helps me to understand my breeding program here as to figure out who can produce the most amount of milk on the same feed ration with the same management practices. And it kind of helps me to go through my herd and to call out members. And for anybody that gets squeamish when they hear that word call, call just means they go on to be a backyard milker. They're no longer in my, my, my herd management system. I am breeding to get a small compact little Nigerian dwarf that looks like a dairy goat produces milk because I'm a little bit of an advocate for this breed. (laughs) 
And I could, yeah. I could talk your head off. I don't know if your <laughs> listeners would want to listen about that, but I could talk your oh, head yeah. off on how the, the Nigerian dwarf breed has just been so watered down and the market is so saturated because of the blue eyes, the moon spots, the, the color variations, they're cute, they're small, but they're losing that, that general fact that they are, they were meant to be a dairy goat breed. Yeah. They should be producing milk, which means that they should have a high tight udder. They should have lots of capacity. They should have appropriately placed teats that are um, hand milkable. Um, they shouldn't mm-hmm. be tiny that their body conformation should be a specific way to promote productivity within that animal. Whereas a lot of people say, is it pulled? Is it blue eyed? Does it have moon spots? I'm like, I don't care about that here. It's cherry on the top. They produce milk. That's the important part. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, that's (laughs) not what they're here for. You know, especially um, when it comes to like those dairy goat um, products that we're, we're wanting a lot of people, like dairy goats because of the high butterfat content um, mm-hmm. in comparison to the equality and the amount of milk that they make. Right. If I am milk testing and I have someone who's really lacking in that area, it means that I'm not going to get as much cheese. I'm not going to get as much butter. It's not going to be as um, soothing of a material to put into milks for skin conditioning. That is really, really important. Um, mm-hmm. Not to mention those milk tests tell me if I've got mastitis getting ready to start in my herd and that I can proactively treat. Or if I maybe have someone who's starting to get sick because they've dropped, or it might even tell me that I've got someone who's getting ready to go into a reproductive um, cycle because yeah. sometimes milk productions drop then. So it is really playing detective work with these, these tests. And I think that's probably why I've really... Um, how would I say it just been drawn into the dairy goat world so very quickly. I've only had Nigerian dwarfs. I think this is my fourth year, but I had boars prior to that. And the meat production is totally different. Uh Talked circles around your head on, on that market um, for breeding stock. But I just, I really have loved dairy goats and I've really loved how easy they are to, to work with. And I love the Nigerian dwarfs because they're small. They really are a perfect homesteading goat mm-hmm. because of their size and yeah. their impact on um, their their general environment mm-hmm. and the permaculture benefits that come from that. We actually just moved our in-ground garden into our goat pen. I know that sounds <laughs> insane. Why would you move your in-ground garden in with your goat pen? Um, it's, it's like Fort Knox in there, number one. Yeah. They cannot get in. But we've run them so long over that that specific patch of ground that their cool manures and everything that they've done that's been beneficial for our land is now being reaped in the crops that we sow there that are for our family or for our community. So for us, it's just been very, very cyclical to have them as part of our our farm. I'm sorry. I went on and on. No, you're fine. I I love the idea that, you know, just it's not just about producing a product for you, but you're actually letting those goats do work for you. Mm-hmm. And, and, and basically heal your land and mm-hmm. you know feed you even vegetables that way you oh, know yeah, I mean? so abs- they're, they're, they're working for you I'm, I'm a big proponent of that of you know using these animals to do just mm-hmm. more, to just provide a thing for you you know put them mm-hmm. to work and let them do the things that you know uh that they they were put on this planet to do i mean yeah they yeah. will root a chicken will scratch a, a goat will drop exactly. <laughs> you know it's a valuable exactly. so but isn't that it. like the coolest thing when you're talking to new homesteaders, when they realize that the things that they're working with, like improve their land. Mm-hmm. I had someone like over here and I took all of the manure from last year, even though, you know, goats are a cool manure or a cool compost producer, but it, it can age too and still reap yeah. lots more biological, a lot more biological advantages, put mm-hmm. it in our, our, um, 
or in-ground garden over there, just fed the chickens over it for a month. I didn't have to move it. They spread it for me, you know, like I, I guess I didn't even know that, that goats like a rabbit produce a, a cold manure. So yeah. you can put it directly on a garden. Then. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I it benefits from yeah. cooling down, but it is, it is cool compost, just like a rabbit's. And wow. actually we run Muscovy ducks too. Uh-huh. And that's one of the reasons I chose Muscovy ducks is because they're not technically part of the duck family, they're more of like a roosting duck or a goose and their compost is much cooler than the average duck. And Mm -hmm. I literally take their manure and their straw and I use that as mulch, like over my entire garden straight from the coop and it has never burned anything. Nice. We've made a lot of our livestock choices based off of the usability of their compost quickly. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You know, because then I don't want to have to, there's something that just is so distasteful to me to spend my entire summer and my entire winter. (laughs) Yeah. Like just having to like pick up poop and put it in a pile (laughs) and to wait, waiting. I am not a patient person. Waiting is just like the worst thing for me. So the thought of having animals where their byproducts, especially their waste can be removed right away and become useful immediately was super appealing to me. Yeah. I don't want to wait. I I will likely forget about the compost pile in the back corner of the field because it's ugly, it's smelly and the people that visit are like, "Oh, there's poop here." <laughs> well, yeah, there's there's farm animals here. And it's too. just added labor too. I mean, yeah, you just have, exactly. have to get out there and do it. It's just adds Yeah, to I it. have to touch it twice that way. This yeah, way I yeah. touch it one time. Yeah, if you can get away with not doing that, it's it's a lot yeah, better. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm even a big fan of like if you just got enough property, you can put it back there and just let it just sit yeah. and not even turn it because if it sits long enough, you don't have to turn it. It'll still yeah, you don't turn have into to. usable com- compost. But you know, if you got the room for that and a place to do that, that's mm-hmm. even great because yeah, there's a lot of work to turn in compost. I mean, you will get it quick doing yeah. that, but it's a lot of work. And um, it is yeah, it sounds like you got quite a system there, just getting it directly to where it needs to be yeah. and, and using it, which is great. Mm-hmm. So you're running, so you got the Muscovy ducks, you got you have some chickens. Um, so, I mean, are you doing those on a, are those more of a homestead scale or are you doing like actually uh, farm production with those as well? They're more of a homestead scale, mm-hmm. but I let them kind of do what they want to do. Yeah. Um, just because like, even like just a chicken running loose in, in on your property, like the benefits of the insect control and yes. the added nitrates to your grass and the aerating of your soil. There's a lot of benefits to that. But if you let animals just run wild on your, your property, I'm lucky. I don't have to worry about neighbors here um, most of the time. But I mean, then predators become an issue, yeah, you know, absolutely. but I, I find the benefits of letting them live like their their natural lives in a controlled environment. Mm-hmm. is a lot more beneficial for them. And it's really beneficial for me. Yeah. Um, my egg production goes way high when they're for they're foraging and they're, they're doing a lot of their free ranging. Mm-hmm. And I know that's because they're getting a lot of the nutrients that the stewardship of my land is giving them. But I also want to think that's because they're happy. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be that person that's like, live in your coop and, and produce and produce and produce because as a homesteader, that's not what it's about. Like the, this permaculture and this relationship that you build with 
the livestock and the living beings that are in your soil and that are a part of your your garden, whether it be bees or the good bugs or the or the bad bugs. I mean, it is just so beautiful how yeah. they all lend their hand to each other. Mm-hmm. And on if I the way that I've looked at like homesteading, I want to leave my land that if I were to just up and die in the garden, that the garden would just consume me, you know, and <laughs> go on it. It would keep producing because I've chosen heirloom crops and my animals would be able to move freely throughout it and create yeah. their own progeny. And, and through that, you know, Mother Nature creates better, bigger, stronger animals that are more suited for their their environments. Absolutely. I think that's one of the, the things like with factory agriculture that we've just we've painted ourselves into a corner and you have people now that have livestock and they're like, well, I don't understand why they get so sick or I don't understand why it works this way, or I have to give them that. And I'm like, because you're asking these animals that have evolved over thousands and thousands of years, and we've put them in these situations and domesticated them. And we're asking them to do something that naturally those thousands of years have, have taught them to do. And we're asking them to do something completely different and still be productive and still be happy in the way that we want it done. And I think that's why the homesteading movement now is so wholesome with rotational grazing, the permaculture. And I think that's why you have such a tsunami of people wanting to come back to it. Yeah. And yeah, we definitely need to get into that here in a few minutes. Oh, yeah. First, I wanted to ask you, though, about like, OK, you started the bear lane. I'm fascinated by this, by the way, that you bought a cornfield and started homestead. <laughs> would, what would, would you do that again if you were starting over or what would you do something different or what if kind of things would you do my entire life? I would do that again. Yeah. You know, like if I were young my entire life, I would do that again. Um, we we are very blessed. Like we have since we grew up in this lifestyle, it, there a lot of that knowledge came with us. So I I find that we had a huge advantage in that way. Yeah. Whereas the people that are coming into it now, they might not have the knowledge of knowing like, hey, you gotta you gotta dig your fence post below the frost line per your region. Like you can't just dig yeah. it hired. Like it has to go a certain amount down and, you know, you have to be able to read the topography of your land. You don't want to put your barn in a low spot because you don't want your barn to flood every time you get a good, you know? So if I could start over, would I do raw land again? (laughs) You know, that is such a unique question. I have not been asked that. And I think I would say, yeah, Yes and no. Yes and no. And the reason is of yes is because there's something very wonderful about taking something raw and being able to make it like your dream homestead. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's no parameters. There's no, the barn already sits here. So we have to work around this or this house is already sitting like where I would have wanted the garden. Um, But no, because like, I know that um, per nature, like I'm just going to get older and fatter and slower and you just said you weren't a very patient person so and that, and I'm not patience, a patient patience person, would be no. required on something like that you gotta wait <laughs> exactly. for trees to grow you know wait exactly. for these plants to develop yeah i mean it takes a yeah, while yeah exactly and i find myself already at the ripe age of 35 feeling <laughs> you know t- a lot more tired than when i first put in all of these fence posts <laughs> with my husband or you know the first couple years of do- trimming goat hooves where it was only 10 or 15 now i'm like at 50 where i'm like I got to split this up over a couple of days. Ripe age of 35. That 35. Just, I, I know. A, I know. I, got a, I, know, I got but... a daughter turning 32 this weekend. So <laughs> I want to call that ripe age, but yeah. <laughs> Everybody said it though. They're like, when you turn 30, it all changes. I'm like, I bet you'll say that when I turn 40 too. <laughs> oh yeah. It's every 10 this years. Just, it's something good. Is... Something changes every 10 years. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> like it's the nature of the beast. It just, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. But, uh, because of, you know, mother nature aging me and making me feel slower and not so fit. No, but 
the beauty of just building something that's all your I get own. That. I get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was wondering about that. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously we all look, it's hindsight changes everything. We look back and we go, okay, I would have done this different, but then I might not have done this different because I learned yeah. some things from it that, yeah. you know, that I wouldn't have learned had I not went through that too. So there's just things, exactly. it's hard to say that you would do things different because there's so you wouldn't be in the same place if you did it different. Mm-hmm. Just, you wouldn't gain that knowledge. I think. Oh so. yeah. I mean, you're, you're exactly right. And even the, the, you know, the people within this, this niche and this community that are well-known like Joel Salatin, mm-hmm. I mean, he had to go through years of experience to become the wealth of knowledge that he is now. Like I love listening to that man talk about things because he knows how to make it very poetic, but it's straight to the point. Um, I think when I was at the Homesters of America conference for the first time and heard him and Dan Daniel Salton talk about the rogue animal. Yeah. And I was like, well, I mean, if I only have to catch the goat, you know, and it only takes me three minutes, then it's really not that big of a deal. He's like, yeah, but three minutes every single day for the rest of your life. Like you have that one goat. He's like, where <laughs> would that time? And he's like, it matters. You know, those little things that can help you or save your time. Like turning they matter. But you know, <laughs> yeah. his years of experience of lost time gave him that ability to articulate that to where it's very understandable for the rest of us. So sure. I guess that's just part of it. We got to be old and we've got to go through it and get that experience. And then we can be useful to the next generation behind us. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, there's just certain things that, you know, it's, you learn by your own mistakes, but it's also a lot nice to learn from the mistakes of others too. And when they tell you about it, which is why I love that you have a YouTube channel because you get to share your experiences and then some people get Mm -hmm. to learn from your mistakes without actually having to make those mistakes. So you can actually learn that way too. And yeah, absolutely. Talk about your YouTube channel a little bit. What inspired you to start a YouTube channel? You know, I, I, without being like that, that weird person, I just felt very called to do it. Um, I was, I was listening to lots of YouTube channels and, you know, it was actually Sandy Brock. I, I know exactly the moment that I decided I'm going to do this because there's just something so beautiful about what this person just said. And it's going to be, it's going to sound super selfish. Um, but she'd actually just hit a milestone. Um, her, her channel is Sandy, Sandy Brock, sheepishly me. She runs, um, a big, big sheep operation up in Canada. I hate sheep, which is hilarious. Sheep and goat <laughs> people, we don't, we don't see eye to eye, but I, I really love her. And, you know, she was saying um, into her camera lens that she's like, you know, it's not easy for me to share these moments with you. And she's like, it's been very revealing to share moments that I lived in with you. She's like, because when I'm in those moments, like I don't see the beauty around me or I don't see the perseverance that I'm that I'm putting out or the outcomes right Mm -hmm. then and there. She's like, but when I go back and I watch it or I'm editing it, she's like, it has just helped me to feel so much more. Um, at home in my own skin with what I'm doing. And there was just something like so poetic about that. And I was just very inspired by her. Um, She just, she jumps into situations head first. And I was actually talking to one of my friends like, well, you do that too. You know, like you (laughs) with your goats, you just dive right in. She's like, I've seen you do it before. You don't think you just act. She's like, if you've got a camera, maybe you could do that. And that's, that's really where it all started, but it's sometimes not the funnest, you know? That's great. That I mean, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people doing it. I mean, YouTube's oh yeah, I mean, saturated. Thing, you know? It's like yeah, it's saturated. There's a lot of people doing it, but there's some really good stuff out there. And and I still tell you what, I learned. I mean, every week I watch some videos that I learn something from mm-hmm. and, and gain from other people's experiences and mistakes and and oh absolutely, and, you know, their successes as well. And um, yeah, I mean, I would say half of what I know about anything probably came from YouTube, and <laughs> I can't imagine 
not having that resource. I mean, I grew up without that resource. Obviously, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in my fifties, and I grew up without that resource. But I can't. I mean, that has been such a benefit to my life now. YouTube podcasts, you know, mm-hmm. the books that we have, the things that, you know that that weren't available forty years ago, you know, like they are now. It's it's mm-hmm. it's quite a resource, and 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 I think most people do realize that and appreciate that. So, but mm-hmm. that wouldn't be there for for people like you and me. I mean, doing a podcast or one. Yeah. Nice to have people doing things that they can, you know, share that information. So I'm always thankful for, for folks that are willing to do it. YouTube's hard for me. I, I have a hard time yeah, staying up I with think, YouTube. I think someone would be lying to you if you just said it was like super, super easy yeah. for them. You know, um, last year at um, Homesteaders of America, I had the chance, you know, to talk to some bigger YouTubers. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them said the same thing, like, just keep going. They're like, it's going to feel like you're yeah. banging your head against the wall or that it doesn't make sense. Or, or, you know, you might feel like you need to talk about something, but it feels stupid at the moment to keep that in your video. And she's like, yeah. I keep those moments in my video. She's like, because those are the moments that people comment about, like, yep. I needed to hear this. I needed yeah. to see this. This saved my animal. I'm like, you make a yeah. you. you you're driving a hard bargain there, you know, I mean, it, it's, it can be very soul bearing to, yeah. to share what you're doing on YouTube. Actually, like I saved my first kid from hypoglycemia because of learning from someone else on YouTube. Yeah. I'm like, I, I have dextrose. I have the needles. I know that's what's going on. I'm going to do this treatment. I'm going to film it. And I'm going to tell that person, Hey, yeah. I found this at this YouTube channel and it saved my animal because yep. it did, you know, yeah. it's good to reap things like that. Absolutely. And you're doing a great job of it. I mean, you, you're keeping it up. You're putting out quite a few videos. I mean, how often do you put out videos? I was looking through your... your. I try to do at least one a week. Sometimes yeah. it's two if I'm feeling really good. But man, back when I first started, it was like three or four videos. Yeah, you, you've been doing it a while too. Yeah. So, I mean, you got quite yeah. an inventory of uh, videos there. So you got a lot of yeah. information. Yeah, we folks, just so. hit 3,000 subscribers um, awesome. this week. So I was really yeah. happy. It's a drop in the bucket compared to, you know, some of like the bigger YouTubers. Yeah. But I'm I'm but, happy to celebrate that. That's, I mean, put 3,000 people in a room and speak to them. That's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's, <laughs> that's true. a lot of people. So, I mean, I mean you, you definitely feel different when they're all standing in front of you than you would mm-hmm. feel watching you on the screen. But yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, well, I, you know, a lot of people do it for a lot of different reasons. And, and uh, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, I felt, when I was going starting a podcast, it was kind of like that too. It's like, man, I got information I want to share. I want to see people. For me, it was urban homesteading. You know, it's like, I mm-hmm. didn't think you could do it. And then once I figured out how much I could actually do, it's like, I got to get this message out there, you know, because there's yeah. a lot of people that are going, oh, one day I want to start a homestead. And they just keep putting it off and putting it off and they yeah. may never do it. I want people to know you can do a ton right where you're yeah. at. You know, so that was a big thing for me starting. And of course it expanded and got bit bigger and, and different over time. But that was the main reason I just had a passion to get that word out. And it sounds like you have a similar passion to get that word out and teach people and show people yeah. how it's done and stuff. So that's great. Um, well, uh, now I made contact with you at first because of Rhonda Fowler, who I just yeah. interviewed on the podcast and you're both organizers of the Indiana homesteading conference. Yeah, and, we uh, are. Yeah, so that's that's pretty neat. And uh, how how did that come to be for you? I mean, how did you get involved with being an organizer for that conference? Um, that that's another like. I don't mean to go silent on that, but it's, it's, and this is just practicing faith over fear, but it was just kind of a God thing for me. And I really try to, I I get fearful talking about things like that, you know, and being very open with things. Sounds similar to Rhonda. She basically said the same thing when I talked to her. Yeah, it really, really was. Um, 
I actually had been asked to speak for the first time at a homesteading conference down South Mm -hmm. and it was so short notice. And I, I just couldn't come up with the money to, to go speak there. Yeah. And I was really bummed about it. And I talked to my husband like, man, I just really wish there was a way that I could figure out how to get down there and speak and to be a part of something like this. Cause this is where I really feel like God is calling me to just be a part of this community and to help people to find their pathway through self-sufficiency and to take those first steps. Yeah. And um, it wasn't, but like a week later that Rhonda actually just reached out to me through my farm Facebook page. And she wow. says, you know what, do you want to, do you want to work on a conference with me? It's a homesteading <laughs> conference. And um, I was like, yeah. And because really there are things that happen in your life like that, yeah. that when God puts something on your doorstep, it's like, he knows the desires of your heart. And who am I to turn that away to say, mm. yeah, you saw me, you saw what I wanted, but yeah, I'm good. You I've can, had you several can keep experiences that like that over the you years. Know? And, yeah. You know? So yeah. So it was just one of those moments where you just kind of seize the day and, and awesome. roll with it. And um, that's, this is just what we've been doing ever yeah. since. So you, so you're, you were involved right off the bat in the first conference last year, right? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. And this year it looks like it's grown quite a bit. It's going to be a different animal this year. It is going to be a different animal, which is both very exciting, but extremely frightening. <laughs> it's yeah. very, very frightening. I mean, I've had a couple conversations with Rhonda and it sounds like there's a lot on y'all's plate to get done. And it just sounds like yeah. you just it's a big, it's a big task, but it sounds like the right two people are handling that. Yeah. You guys both have a passion for it. For oh sure. yeah. And I, I know I, I she would... is. Oh, she is about it. <laughs> super passionate about yeah, it. She is. We'd we'd have like our phone calls every week, and it's so funny because you know sometimes she, I know that we've got topic driven phone calls, but it a lot of times it does spin off into why the community needs it so much. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've mentioned Homesteaders of America conference a couple of times just while sitting here because mm-hmm. it impacted and it inspired me and gave me motivation to come back and do things differently to start yeah. new new things on my farm new projects and there are just a lot of people that either can't make that drive or because right. the tickets sell out like in 2 months that they just they don't know if they can get the time off of work yep. so i think seeing things like this pop up regionally um throughout the entire united states is extremely important yep um, especially because you have this mass migration of people coming, what I would say, to t- coming back to touch the grass, to have a connection with the earth that they're living on mm-hmm. through homesteading, um, that people need guidance because it seems really easy. You know, even growing up, watching a farmer plow a field here because it was just what it, what always happens in Indiana. It's just corn and soybeans. As far right. as the eye can see, you know, always know in April and May, I'm going to watch them seed. And in October, November, I'm going to watch them harvest. Yep. And it seems easy. And it has its own it has its own battles and difficulties. But I found it's even more so like on a smaller scale because you start to take like a lot more pride in what you're doing and you feel a lot more connected to the, um, the harvests that you're reaping, you know? And I feel like if people aren't led or they don't feel like they have a community that they can fall back on or bounce ideas off of, or, or have a chance to sit with somebody or in a, in a crowd of people to listen to somebody, tell them, this is how I got where I'm at. Here are the mistakes that I made. It is okay because mistakes are not an end result. They are a tool for the next experience. They're, they're, they're something that you should be carrying with you in your own little, you know, toolbox of things that you've learned through experiences to be able to make sure that that doesn't happen the next time. Or if you see it starting to happen, you know how to, how you should react to it. And 
even though social media is super open and people can go and watch things on YouTube, there's so much misinformation out there where it's, it's hard, especially if you're new, because as I don't want to say it's just Americans. I, I want to say like humanity as a whole, we're bad for hearing like one opinion that we kind of agree with and we kind of understand and we stick with it. Yeah. And that, and we, we will run our lives by that yep. rather than trying to take a collective um, and figuring out what's the best way. And I think homesteading has to be a collective because it is so fluid. Yeah. It doesn't fit in one box. And right. like you said, you didn't think you could do it on an urban scale. Yeah. It is not confined to acreage. It can be... <laughs> It can be in your backyard. Everybody's situation is different and everybody's desire is different too. It's like, what do you actually want from it? And Mm -hmm. and yeah, so it's just, it it can look completely different for every single person. And I've been doing this podcast for years and I've had a lot of people on tell me about their homesteads. I don't think I've had any of them that sounded exactly the same when they're all doing something Mm -hmm. different. They're all doing it for different reasons. And, and I love that, you know, I, that's why I like talking to so many people about their homesteads. I, even when I have somebody on that wants to talk about a certain topic, I'm like, let's talk about your journey first. Let's get into that. Let's talk mm-hmm. about what you're doing. Cause it's always different. And I'm always fascinated by that because it's health, my uh, health reasons might've got them or just a love of the land might've got them there, mm-hmm. you know, a love of a certain animal or just uh, you know, whatever. I mean, there's always these different reasons, you know, uh, it could just be financial reasons. I mean, there's just, uh, I hear, I've heard a hundred different reasons why people, you know, get into homesteading and then mm-hmm. the steps they take in their journey and what they actually do with it in the end, it, it's always fascinating to me. And I think that might be the difference on why there is like this, seems like this influx of people wanting to go to conferences and events versus mm-hmm. just watch it on YouTube too, because there is that variety. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You know, and there is on YouTube too, but it's just like meeting that person face to face. Mm-hmm. hearing other speakers. I don't know. There's something different about it. And there is a lot of people that are wanting to take that step beyond yeah. YouTube. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think that it's important for people to take advantage of those those different types of events and mm-hmm. to take those opportunities and realize that it's not just it's not just one way. Yeah. You know, I and I feel like the homesteading community, and I will use community a lot when I talk about homesteading, because that's another reason why people really look forward to these events. Mm-hmm. This can be a very intensely lonely life if you let it be. It yeah. can be extremely consuming. And in those seasons where you're just nothing grew right, you're the livestock that were born on your farm, it was like, no matter what you did, you couldn't get any of them to live or the fox yeah. ate every single chicken in your chicken coop before you could get out there to defend them. You need to be able to have a community to fall back on that says, hey, brother, sister, been there, done that bootstraps, pull them up. Let's keep going. You know, maybe this this approach didn't work for you, but here's my approach and it's worked for me. And I've been in the same situations as you've been in. And I think when people think of homesteading or being self-sufficient, they focus on that self. And it's so deceptive because even back when self-sufficiency was the only way to survive. Based off of our experiences and our different attributes and all of the different skills that we had, nobody could do all of it themselves and not 
all that well if they did. If you had right. a, my grandmother used to say you could be a jack of all trades and a master of none. Yeah, yeah. And I'm probably a, a master of none. I didn't heed her <laughs> warning. I like to do all the things. Yeah. But you have to have a community, especially if what we call society were ever to break down, we would have to go back to living like that. Yeah. I have goats. I can make cheese. You know how to sew clothing. I, if you throw put a sewing machine in front of me, uh, don't know what to do with it. I'm just, <laughs> I'm not skilled in that way, yeah. you know? I love that too, that there's a community and you can all, you know, help one another, be there for one another, even barter with one another, or, you know, supply one another. I mean, mm -hmm. that's a really good thing. And Rhonda talked a lot about that too, when she was on about, you know, when you go to this conference, which is a statewide conference, but then mm -hmm. you kind of, you kind of find your click yes. of your County and your people that are right yes. around you. And then, and then you really build a true community that you mm -hmm. can be a benefit to one another. And I think that is you could never get that from YouTube. You're never mm -hmm. going to get that from a podcast. Really. You're not going to get that from any kind of social media. You're going to get that from seeing people face to face. Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. There yeah. are bonds that are only forged like through being able to hear a genuine tone or yeah. reading genuine body language. It's not, I, you know how it is on YouTube. I can edit, I can talk and talk and talk for an hour and I can edit that down flawlessly to 10 minutes. Yeah. And that's it. Whereas in human and in, in human interaction face to face, you don't get to do that. Like it right. it you really do have the ability to discern another person and to get a feel for them. And that's yeah. almost being lost in society nowadays too, because we've got, yeah. got screens in our face all the time, which is there's nothing wrong with that, like in a control in a controlled way, but that shouldn't be the only way that you interact with the world. Right. I mean, that, that makes me so nervous too, because that. the edited me is way better than the face to face me. So, I mean, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I, I, I understand what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> I understand what you're saying though. I mean, it's, it's like you do get, you do get that, that personality, mm -hmm. the true personality that you won't mm -hmm. necessarily get. Some people share it all. I mean, there are people who just say, I'm putting it out there, whatever I am, I am, <laughs> I don't care. You're going to get the person you see online is a person you're going to get face to face. Yeah, and that's great. Absolutely. It doesn't happen often though, because we do tend to want to, to, to hide the parts that we don't feel like, but yeah. sometimes that's the things that people like best about us. What we try to hide, cause we think it what they want to see, but that's what they want to see. They want to see the flaws, you know, yeah. beauty, the flaws, right. Yeah. And, and they, people just don't, you're right. I think we've forgotten that, you know, we mm -hmm. want this edited version of us being out there. Oh yeah. Yeah. 100%. It's funny you brought that up though, because my husband, I was actually editing the video that I released. I think it was last week. And it was just like, I felt like I had failed, you know, and I, there are certain parts of, of what happens on a farm that they're not beautiful and they're not rose colored. And sometimes you're like, that was my fault. And I really don't want to admit even to myself that it was my fault, but to be transparent, it's important. But he said, he's like, well, don't worry. That'll be a well-viewed video because misery loves company. People love to see when other people fail. He's like, and it's not only always because like they love to see terrible things go wrong. It's because of the rawness that's there and sharing it because it's mm -hmm. like, this does happen. I mean, I've talked to, I don't know how many new goat owners were like, I just didn't realize that they could get sick. I didn't realize that they could, this could happen to them. And it's mm -hmm. like, because you've looked at certain things where, or you follow certain people that have only shown you the wonderfulness they bring yeah. into your life because they bring you a lot of joy, yeah. but there's, there's just a lot that goes wrong naturally too, that yeah. you, sometimes we can prevent it. And sometimes we just have to write it off at that, that. 
yeah, that stinks. It happened. I'm taking notes. That's not, I'm not going to let it happen again. If yeah, I, I can. Shared, I shared on the podcast one time that, you know, I was raising rabbits in a colony and they was just dropping dead right and left of coccidiosis. Oh. And I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting away from rabbits for a while. And I'm sharing all this. And people, I think people appreciated the fact that I was sharing that mm-hmm. because there were other people having that same issue and they didn't know what they could do about it either. Yeah. And I didn't know at the time, you know, flash forward a while, figured out the problem. You having them in the ground together. Mm-hmm. One spot all the time, you yeah. know, fix that problem yeah. and never had that problem again, you know. And it was just like, you know, if you share those struggles, it, people, because nobody else is really saying, well, I'm dealing with that too, but they are and, and they're appreciative yeah. when they hear the, the, what the, the, the issue is, you know. Yeah. And, and it's like that with everything. It's like a garden, you know, it's like you got aphids taking over hornworms <laughs> taking over whatever i mean you just talk about those struggles because everybody's got them just not everybody's talking about them right <laughs> oh absolutely and they're definitely not posting pictures on yeah. facebook or instagram saying look at my ate up garden that look was totally dead preventable plant. had yeah, i done nobody research. talks about the dead plants right oh, they yeah. just talk about they show yeah. that abundant harvest <laughs> nobody <laughs> shows shows everything dying out there yeah. or the drought killed everything or whatever mm-hmm. you know but it happens you know and it does and yeah. I mean, just this year I was actually sick for a couple of weeks and, you know, I had all these plant starts in my greenhouse and everything. And I was so sick that I didn't want to do anything. I'm like just laying around mm-hmm. and I wasn't watering. I left things out in the greenhouse that are bringing them in at night on some cold nights and everything just like it was start over time. Cause I killed mm-hmm. everything. <laughs> yeah. But see, that's, that's the beauty though. And it is that you knew like, Hey, that happened, but you didn't let it defeat you. Yeah, you know, you I think over. that's really yeah. where people need too to late. <laughs> yeah. Or I mean, like I said, failure is not the end result of an experience. It is a tool for the next, you yeah. know, really, you have to be able to use those as tools. It's when people let them define them. And I just, I, my, my heart hurts for them. Cause I'm like, that is not who you are, by the way. Right. Like that is very situational. Yeah. It might've been avoidable, but really I'm going to judge that whole situation on how did you come out on the other end of it? Did you yeah. give up or did you keep going? You know, I want people to keep going. Yeah. You're never going to grow if you can't get past that parameter of feeling uncomfortable. Um, it's when I feel the most uncomfortable in something that I'm doing that I'm like, okay, yes, growth. That's coming. <laughs> That's what's happening right now. I feel yeah. uncomfortable because this is, this is me pushing my boundaries further out, which makes me a more well-rounded person and more suitable to, to pursue the lifestyle that we live. I wish I could recognize it more when I'm in the midst of stuff. I usually, in hindsight, look After, back and notice yeah. the, the growth, <laughs> yeah. but usually when I'm in it, I'm a little more uh, panic-minded, like, oh, no. Yeah, it's retrospective, about growth. that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're doing, you no doubt are doing some great things, and, and I love that you're encouraging folks um, right where they're at to, to you know, take the steps and learn mm-hmm. and, and have failures and and continue on, just forge on, you know, and and I love that you're doing that, and you and yeah, that you're involved with the Indiana Homesteading Conference because I think it's a great tool for people. Mm-hmm. And and just a, you know, for a long time we didn't have any events. Now I'm seeing a few pop up. You oh know, yeah, starting to see it's a lot wonderful. more pop up here and there. Yeah, it's but, wonderful. Yeah, this one's a this one's a big one, and a lot of stuff going on. And I can't wait to be mm-hmm. there. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh and, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll get all the information about that in the show notes and everything because I think yeah, it's. I, that, I really be... encourage anybody that's even surrounding states or in Indiana to to come to it because I think it's going to be really good. Oh yeah, that would be wonderful. I know. Speaking of events, I know that there is a homesteaders meet and greet. Um, it's next weekend, uh, April 29th. And then you have the Patriots Homesteaders Conference. That's the 28th, the 29th, and the 30th. They're yeah. both there in the same place. It's going to be awesome. I'm actually going to be at the Patriots um, con- Homesteading Conference to speak on dairy goats. That's down in Seymour, goats. Indiana, or down in that area somewhere, I think. Um, it's like Scottsburg. Scottsburg, Scottsburg that's Indiana. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
but it's going to be awesome. I love seeing events like that, you know, and I've actually had someone like, do you ever feel like competition because you see events? I'm like, no, I'm, I cannot help, but just be like, so happy to see them and rejoice because I'm like, good, something, something for someone who needs it right then and there. They can't wait for it till October. I do the same thing with podcasts. You know, I have other podcasters on this podcast all the time. I go on their podcast Mm -hmm. because I I think it's great. You know, it's like, I mean, I think that that rising tide raises all ships and we can, you know, I just want that information out there, you know, and and I think it's the same way with conferences. Yeah, exactly. It it bolsters the community where I see people hopefully at our conference. I want to see them down there at those conferences too. I want to, I want to, meet new people i want to see new faces and i also want to hold whole hug and and say hello to old friends from other conferences sure. you know yeah. like i want it to be a family reunion that's really how it should be yeah i think the first I, first time i heard of even uh, the or got involved in any level with the indiana homesteading conference was i was talking to the folks at homesteaders of indiana on instagram mm-hmm. and i had them on the show and they're talking about this event you know the event you had last year yeah and how great it was and everything and i'm like i didn't even know anything about that <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it's like you're a really awesome group too i've yeah, taken are. their are. classes for actually the soap that i made i i was super scared to do it until i actually took their class in november I and i got that. i got to know them through our conference so really when you look at that cycle where it's like yep. You don't get to know anybody, but sometimes through word of mouth. And it's, it's so beautiful. It really is. Well, I want to point folks to your all your uh, social media and especially your YouTube uh, channel. And, of course, the link to the Homesteaders, uh, the, the Indiana Homesteading Conference mm-hmm. and um, all that. Do you have anything else uh, you want to talk about before we, uh, we uh, come to a close here? No, not really. I think the only thing that I just want to reiterate for people is just like, you're not defined by your failures because there's going to be failures in homesteading. Yeah, absolutely. Like, absolutely. There's there's going to be moments where you just don't feel all that great, but just keep going. Press and one on. little step yes. is all it takes. You know, yeah. one little step is all it takes. Yeah. Don't measure yourself next to the per- to the person down the road or on YouTube. Comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. Find joy in what you're doing and you will be successful. Awesome. Great word. I think you're absolutely right. Well, Ashley, I really appreciate you coming on talking with us today. I love what you're doing. Keep it up. And uh, I look forward to meeting you face-to-face at the uh, the conference. I do too. Thank you so much, Harold, for having me on today. I really well, appreciate your time and I appreciate the time of your listeners. I appreciate it. Thank you. Looking around, I find the sea. I think I need a change. The rat race I want to flee My world I'll rearrange I'm getting back to the roots Of how it's meant to be Growing gardens, picking fruit Racing livestock, living free It's a modern homestead We do here every day Snapping beans like Grandma did Sitting on her front porch Hunting and fishing like a kid Once you've done all of your chores It's a modern Stop.
today.